0: hello everyone junior church four years old through fourth grade can now walk okay so um, um recently I just took a week-long break from social media from all that uh, as part of a devotion thing I was reading and going through and something I yeah something I suggest more of us do um, I know there's a lot of good and funny things that can be on there. There's also a lot of negative and divisive things. Last week, we're just going to start off kind of real, okay, sorry. Um, Last week I saw something that just kind of hit and kind of hurt right to the core, Um, something that kind of tore at my heart, and uh, the worst part of it, it was really directed at me. Now, my family, we've grown up in the ministry that we get lots of accusations. We get a lot of things said about us. And I've endured many jabs and accusations, but I've never been accused of this before. And it really kind of hurts. That somebody would, in our church, tag me in this. Now, I'm not one who's going to point out the person. I'm not going to name them. Okay? I won't say that. But the nerve that somebody would do this. I just wanted to clear the air. I have never held somebody hostage before until today. So buckle up. And if you don't like it, I'm not saying who's to blame. So, all right. Um, also, if I could just, one little quick note. We had a bunch of kids who went to CIY and TeenServe and you can, okay, they're all exhausted, okay, so you don't, you're ready to be held hostage. There's a godly person there. Um, They're exhausted. Don't let them sleep during the sermon, okay? Um, But also, some of them are also leaving today to go to camp. So, if you're going to camp with high school week, raise your hand. Oh, yeah, just stand up. Okay? All right. So, and some of you, it's your first time. There are more. Those are just our kids who are going. They're going to be a whole week with me. (laughs) Talk about Hostage. So please be praying for them. We prayed for them when they were at TeamServe and when they're at CIY. Also pray while they're at uh, this week of camp and and pray for all the camp um, during the whole summer. So this year our theme is foundation and we want to have an unwavering faith. We're taking an in-depth look at the life of Jesus. And right now we're looking at the group he called to be his disciples, the 12 men that he chose to bring the message of salvation and hope and and start that whole movement of the church. We've looked at a few of the not-so-known ones, uh, Nathaniel. We looked at James the Lesser. We looked at Andrew. And last week we looked at Judas the Betrayer. Today we're going to look at two disciples, two brothers, James and John. In Mark thirty three, sixteen nineteen it lists them, these are the twelve he appointed Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, so he's got a nickname here. James, son of Zebedee and his brother John. To them he gave the nickname um, Boangries Boangries. Oh my goodness. Boanerges. Boangerges. I actually wrote it down here so I know how to say it. Which means son sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, that was James the lesser, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. Now looking at this, we can get mixed thoughts. They are the disciples. They've walked with Jesus. They were handpicked by Jesus. And yet, on the other hand, they're just normal people. Normal people who have flaws. I don't want to sound disrespectful to Jesus, but if we really look at the disciples, we kind of come to the thought, what was Jesus thinking when he picked these guys? Nothing of them really stood out as being great and, and wonderful, except for one, he was great at mathematics, he was good at budgeting, he was um, really taught well, he was in a good social economic area, and his name was Judas Iscariot. He's the only one on paper that would look good as a as a disciple, and we saw what he turned into last week. So let's look at James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who now this nickname, Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Wouldn't you like that, guys? You're a son of thunder. That, that's a cool, powerful name. Um, it cannot be someone you'd expect to be a useful, gentle disciple would say, let the little kids come to me. Let me help you in these things. The same word, energies um, is the same word that family translated as violent, anger, or rage. Maybe these guys were Irish. Okay? Maybe they got a little redheadedness in them. Here are two brothers handpicked by Jesus who he nicknames the sons of violent anger thunder. Now, how much violence and anger do these two brothers have? We're going to jump to Luke chapter 9, verses 51 and 56. As the time drew for him, meaning Jesus, to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out to Jerusalem. He knew what was going to happen. He knew he was going to die at the cross, and he made sure he is going to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to the Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John, the sons of thunder saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven and burn them up? Aren't these guys you want on your team? I don't want them against me. Jesus turned and rebuked them, so they went on to another village. Now, before we can get into this passage, we need to understand and and remember the hatred of the Jews and the Samaritans. They hated each other, that, and this hatred spans centuries. The Jews despised the Samaritans because they, like a nest of scorpions, is what they kind of refer them to. It's just a place where you'd go and get attacked, and it was venomous. The direct route from Galilee to Jerusalem was through Samaria, but the Jews would often go the long way around because they didn't want to go through that place that had the half-breeds, the almost the wannabes. They didn't want to be there. It was forbidden territory. How many of you, when you're going on a trip, you're going on vacation or whatever, and you look through and you're like, we're going to hit that town during rush hour. I'd rather go out of the way. I don't want to go through that. That's what most Jews would do when it came to Samaria. But it's not a one-way street here. Samaritans hated Jews. They were tired of being called called Samaritan dogs. They were tired of being called halfies, half-breeds. They were tired of being seen as moral deviations, especially hated the fact that Jews considered themselves to be better than the Samaritans. Many times when a Jew did try to make a shortcut through the region, they would make life difficult for that Jew So they would hinder them. No, you can't come into here. You're You're on your way to Jerusalem. No way are you allowed to come here. That's why James and John are upset. Jesus is coming. You should welcome him. The Lord, the Messiah, he is coming. And you half-breeds have the gall to say no to Jesus. He's arrogant, half-cast, uncivilized, rednecks. Think they know better. And so, can't you just imagine the, the blood boiling and these sons of thunder? Think of, imagine how their mind is into overdrive and they're ready. And this is the worst time that you can say what you're thinking. If you ever felt like you ever been in that area? I'm sure that we can relate to these two brothers. I, I want you to picture this, okay? You're in your car on your way to church. And behind you comes this guy. He's flying and he gets right on your tail and he's just aggressive. I don't like it when people ride my bumper. I like to just slow down and give them time to pass in my way. And I can explain that later. But I don't want, I don't sit there and go, oh, they're in a hurry. Oh, that's so nice. But imagine they kept doing it. And then they pass you. And you can feel the breeze from the car as as it hits yours and rocks you. They get in front and they hit the brakes. And they won't let you pass. And then you're late to church. And this happens for years. When you first finally catch up to them at Walmart, how are you going to reply? Imagine that. That's what James and John are feeling. And in those moments, when we're that angry, don't things fly out of our mind and into our mouths and out that really we shouldn't? We can respond in ways that are very ungodly. We let emotion of the moment take over. In situations like that, something has to be done. When when people act like idiots, we need to help them out, but we still need to have God on our side. Make sure we're with him. I can relate to that. But I don't think I'd take it as far as James and John. I mean, really, look. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? Let's break that down. This is real anger. Cultural differences have come down to a showdown. James and John want these people not hurt, but annihilated. Every home destroyed. Every man, woman, and child killed. This wasn't just about one or two people. It was a whole town. And they think this is an appropriate response. These disciples of Jesus. We're not going the long way, Jesus. Let me call down fire and then we can walk through and see the ashes. That is thunderous anger. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, and you got to Lord, you've got to hear that thing, do you want me to call cool down fire on these people? And Jesus turned and rebuked them. And of course Jesus rebukes them. They want to murder a whole town. John, you can't go around vaporizing people just because you don't like them. James, get hold of your anger. You can't annihilate a whole people group because they hurt your feelings. You can't hurt or destroy people I came to save. Jesus rebukes James and John, not the Samaritans. You'd think that Jesus would say, hey, you should have welcomed me. There's a curse on you. No, he leaves them alone. They go a different way, go to another village. He rebukes the Christians. After the rebuke is over, they go to the next village and go on. Where is Jesus going? He's resolutely going to Jerusalem. He is resolutely going to the cross. And there at the cross, James and John were able to see firsthand power. Not the power of anger, but the power of love. They saw Jesus beaten, whipped. They saw him crucified. They saw Jesus on the cross as the crowd mocked and berated him. Did you see the confusion in James and John? These people rejected you, Jesus. We could have called down fire. Why won't you do it now? You're on the cross. They're killing you. This is wrong. And James and John are silent at this point. If they had the power to call down fire, then Jesus definitely could have. And if ever there was a reason to be angry, the crucifixion is it. They killed their Jesus. If there was ever a time for not just the disciples, but Jesus to rise up in anger like James and John wanted to just days earlier... Why didn't he come off that cross and kill them? Why didn't he come off the cross and show them his power? What is it that changed James and John from wanting to call down fire on a town to standing silent on the hillside? Thomas Edison was working on this crazy contraption that's been called a light bulb. It took a whole team of people 24 straight hours to put one together. They had to do it intricately and get it all set one or 24 hours straight. On the day they finished with one bulb, he gave it to this young boy helper who was nervously supposed to carry up the stairs of their laboratory. Step by step, he cautiously kept going. He walked it up the stairs, frightened because he didn't want to break it. He was so nervous that when he got to the top of the steps, he actually stumbled. Have you ever dropped a light bulb? They don't bounce. It shattered. It took the entire team of men 24 more hours to make the next light bulb. Finally, when it was done, ready for a break, Edison was ready to have his bulb carried back up the stairs. He called the same young boy And had him carry it up. Think he was nervous? How much more nervous is it? But that boy's life changed. Because Edison didn't hold him on his past. But gave him another chance. Changing lives. That's the business that Jesus is in. James and John were nicknamed the sons of thunder. But John actually became known as a different name. Later on, throughout the scriptures, John gets a different nickname. And and he writes the the three letters of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We're going to read a lengthy passage and just think, the son of thunder, of anger, of violence, he wrote this passage. This message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not like be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what's righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sister- sisters, if the world hates you. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life. There's the crucifixion gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well, sees a brother and sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth so we can be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our Feelings. There's a great truth we need to hold today. And He knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. And we will receive from Him whatever we ask because we obey Him and do the things that pleases Him. And this is His commandment. We must believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. Where's that violence and anger? Where's that thunder? These three letters of John, the same dis- disciple, the son of thunder. And here what J- John is saying is he's saying, call down thunder on your enemies. Is he saying, call down fire and death and anger. No, he says, love one another. Don't be surprised when the world hates you, like that Samaritan village wouldn't let us in. We ought to lay down our lives for others. That's the attitude John went from. He went from a son of thunder. And Jesus developed him. He went from a son of thunder to the disciple of of love. Isn't that a huge change? And when we see this, when we really look at what James and John were and what God turned them into, this question should come to our mind. If Jesus can do that for John, that means there's hope for all of us. If Jesus can take this angry, violent person who wants to annihilate, vaporize a whole town and turn him into somebody that says, we need to love them. We need to sacrifice for them because I saw Jesus die. I will do the same. If you think Jesus can do that for John, I've never wanted to kill a whole town. So that means there's got to be hope for me. that's a good thing. If Jesus can use people like James and John, he can use us. I am not an angel. I am not that good. And no matter how nice you smile or how good you act, you aren't either. Earlier, uh, Jim was telling somebody that I got this halo on here. You know, I'm all good and righteous, but my horns hold it up. And he wanted to make sure that who we were talking to knew that my halo was crooked. It wasn't even straight. That's all of us. We are not perfect. We are not that good. We all have our serious character faults. We have a long way to go before we can stand before Jesus. But Jesus knows that. Look at what else this John says in verses 8 and 10. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living the truth. If you claim you are really good, you're a liar. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that His Word has no place in our hearts. If we try to say, hey, you need to be as good as me, we're liars. And we're actually calling God liars. And Jesus knows our weakness. He knows our hidden motives, our jealousy, our rage, our, our lack of grace, and our selfish ambition. But when Jesus looks at us, he sees what others can't. All I would ever see in James and John were violent men who should not be in the leadership of a church. But Jesus sees the heart. Really let that sink in, that Jesus peels back those layers, and he looks directly at into you into your heart and my heart and he doesn't see this he sees what he is doing in me and what he can make me become we can look at the wisdom of Jesus about those that he chooses to be disciples and sometimes feel that doesn't make sense Jesus let's face it if it were up to me, I wouldn't even be qualified to be a disciple if I was looking for him. I'm all too aware of my shortcomings. I'm familiar with what goes on in my mind. and But that's looking at it through my wisdom, through my eyes. Looking at the, my character through my understanding. And the wisdom of man is not the wisdom of God. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the foolishness, even the dumbest thoughts of God, are far wiser than anything we could ever comprehend. And God chooses foolish things to shame the wise. That's why I'm a preacher. We might not think that the methods of Jesus make sense, but they work. Only through Jesus could a son of thunder become the apostle of love. It started by the sea one day. James, um, Peter, John, and Andrew were filling their nets, um, fishing. They were bringing it all together. And Jesus came up and introduced himself and interrupted their life. And from that point on, life was not the same. James and John would have to submit themselves to the softening of Jesus' influence. And slowly, day by day, they entered into that fellowship with Jesus that became deeper and richer and higher than it was the day before. And as the process unfolded, Jesus would rebuke, but he would rebuke with love and patience. And Jesus says some pretty harsh things to his disciples. In some passage, he calls them dull, having little faith, and yet he still encourages them to keep coming, to persevere, challenging their faith exposing their bigotry attitudes, highlighting their faulty thinking, and then teaching them to show a new way of thinking of godliness. Basically, what Jesus is showing is they are a work in progress. They're a work in progress. He didn't say, okay, done, you're good, now move on. They're a work in progress. And that's not just what he did with the first disciples, that's what Jesus is doing with all of us. And do you know what it means to be a work in progress? The technical term, the biblical word is sanctification. That means he started a good work and he's going to keep doing it. I am not as good as I need to be, but God's not done with me. He's going to keep growing me. He's going to keep molding me. And if I quit fighting him, he would do it a little faster. And then maybe I could be a little bit more like James and John. And in sanctification, that's where we grow as believers, where we experiment with our Christianity and learn how God wants us to live. We take a step and go, oh, yeah, that's not right, God, you want me to go this way. Where we seek to put off the aspects of our lives and let the biblical ways invade and envelop us. When we learn to put on what is holy, and as works in progress, we are allowed to make mistakes. Real quick, I need you to hear that. When you're a disciple, it doesn't mean you're perfect. You are going to make mistakes. James and John had already been walking with Jesus, and they still wanted to murder a town. They made a mistake. We are allowed to seek forgiveness after our mistakes. We are allowed to start again. We are allowed to admit it and let God move. See, if we claim to have no sin, we're fooling ourselves and living in not living in the truth. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. When we realize that we are works in progress, it begin we begin to realize that this allows us to be a very effective disciple. Sometimes Christians, have to, they think that we have to act to have it all together. We got to put on our Sunday morning clothes and attitude and smile and everything's great. Oh yeah, there's God has spoke to me every day, and I haven't sinned at all. I'm just so righteous and thankful to be with God. When really our world has fallen apart, it's very intimidating when you meet somebody like that. When you meet somebody who thinks they have it all together, who think they are so good at what they do, sometimes I believe that's what turns others off to Christianity. Because the world likes to call us a hypocrite, because we are only fooling ourselves. Those who aren't searching don't feel that they're good enough. They, then they meet a group of people who put on a mask and pretend that we got no problems in our lives. At other times, this happens much more, and we look at ourselves with all the shortcomings, and we think, how is it possible for someone like Jesus to accept someone like me? And so we can either be fake, or we fall into the trap of thinking that I'll just never make it, and so I shouldn't even try. Those are the two extremes of those. I either have to have it all together, I've got to be perfect for Jesus to love me, or I can never have Jesus love me. Both of them are on the wrong path, let me just say. We don't see that we can teach people how to boil an egg. How many of you are are master chefs? Liars. That was the teenager. How many of you know how to boil an egg? Yeah, all of you better know how to boil an egg. You don't have to be a master chef to teach somebody how to boil an egg. You don't have to be the greatest disciple of God to show people the love of God. You just have to start walking in that and show them. One of the greatest things that you can ever do when somebody asks you a theological question, one of the best things you can do is say, I don't know. Let me go find out and I'll get back with you. Let them know... I don't know it all, but I know God does, and I'll find it. Because both of these attitudes of wearing the mask or wearing the I am never good enough hinder our effectiveness. But when we come at a different attitude, when we come as a I am a work in progress, then our effectiveness our effectiveness level changes very quickly. A not yet believer can come up and say, I'm, I'm a bad person. And we can say, so am I. Well, I don't deserve forgiveness. Neither do I. I'm sure I'm going to mess up. I mess up all the time. You mean we're the same? Yes, we both need Jesus. See the difference in that? It's not coming to me. It's me taking you to Jesus. As I am going to Jesus. Jesus. There is method in Jesus when He chooses people like you and me. Not looking at other people in the room or the other ministries. He chose you. And He has a reason. That's because the very heart of Jesus' ministry is to fix broken people by repairing our broken relationship first with God and us. Jesus had every right to call down fire from heaven in order to vaporize sinners which would include us because we're very stubborn stubborn against the ways of god we have trashed the promises and take god for granted we have turned and turned so much that we can be classified as enemies of god we don't deserve anything but punishment yet jesus has every right to get rid of us instead though He chose to be a sacrifice for our sins. And that's what the cross is about. It's not a place where sinners are vaporized. It's a place where transformation happens. The cross where a hasty temper can actually die. The cross where unbridled prejudice meets an eternal end. The cross where an untamed character is set down and God is lifted up. The Son of God taking the punishment for James and John, the sons of thunder. The Son of God taking the punishment for you and me. Jesus can change you. You struggle with sin every day. I've already struggled with it today. Jesus can forgive you. Do you feel you're not adequate to even be called a disciple, let alone a Christian? Jesus can transform you. That's the sort of Savior Jesus is. A Savior who takes the unworthy and uses it with incredible effectiveness no matter who you are. When John begins his journey as a disciple, he has a thunderous character which is very intolerant. Yet because Jesus sees all disciples as a work in progress. John came the son of thunder to an apostle of God's love. What about you? We can have the same hope and assurance that we can be the same kind of disciples for Jesus. It's not about your past. It's not about the faults. It's not about the mistakes. About Jesus, it's all on Him. Are you ready to let go and just follow Him? It's James and John, they went to their deaths following Jesus, then. and they woke up in heaven because of it. They went from a sons of thunder to a son of God. Just like we, can. we're going to stand. We're going to pray. And if you need to make a decision when we're, when we're praying, will not you come forward or come meet with me in the back and we'll, we'll go to God, we'll go to the throne room and we'll make sure that we come to Jesus thanking him for who he is and what he will do in us. Father, God, it doesn't make sense in earthly wisdom that you would choose us. I thank you for what you have shown us about James and John. How you even called out their temperament and yet didn't let that direct them. You didn't let that hinder them. You chose to work in and above it and bring out your truth. And God help us all to submit to that same training, that same discipleship. To lay down our pride, our anger, our selfishness, our greed, or whatever it is, so that we don't have to be the sons of sin, but we can be the sons and daughters of God. Forgive us when we keep failing. And I thank you, God, that you constantly restore our relationship. You sanctify us. You keep working on us. Thank you, God, because you have called it a good work as we gather here to sing one more song, let it not just come out of our lips, but out of our hearts and our minds in devotion of the truth of who you are. And in that, in your truth, we pray to you. Amen.